that voice. Yeah, it sounds you? very familiar. It does sound familiar. It sounds like one of the three birthday boys. Hi, I'm Dan Schinder. And I'm Stephen Schinder. And this is not. We're selling some, celebrating some birthdays today. Uh, that's Trevor Horn, of course. And we got two other birthdays we're going to talk about. We're going to talk about Trevor last, right, Steve? Yeah. Uh, we're going to talk about... Well, yesterday, as of when we're recording this, it's July 15th. Yesterday was Igor Koroshev's birthday, and today is Peter Banks and Trevor Horn's birthday. So we'll be going Igor, then Peter, then Trevor. So, yeah. No, it's um, Yes. <laughs> right. Yeah. The what if there's a cover yes. band called Yeah? Maybe there is. I don't know. Yeah, I saw that there's a cover band called And You and Yes. They're like in Europe or something. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> cool. So Igor Korachev, let's first start out by saying we know he's not everybody's favorite member, but we still want to acknowledge his birthday. I personally think he uh, is on some great Yes music. We'll get to that. So if we can put him aside as far as the the only member that really has a blemish on the record of being in yes. And that, that's about 30 people, not counting uh, Roger Dean, Steve and controversy myself. Controversy type thing, yeah. Yeah, but but that aside, um, I, I am a fan of Open Your Eyes. I met Igor on that tour, and I love the latter. Um, I'm not familiar with anything else he's done outside of that, but Steve, what's your take on him musically? Yeah, well, on Open Your Eyes, uh, he's only on three tracks, which right. are New State of Mind, No Way We Can Lose, and Fortune Seller. And I don't know about you, but when I think of those tracks, the keyboards aren't really the first thing that come to mind for me. That That's true. Um, I, I think when I think of Open Your Eyes, I think of the tour more as it relates to Igor, right. and, and the tour was great. That's the first time they pulled the revealing science of God out of their butts in a long time. So when that song started, anyone that wasn't on that record, which was Billy and Igor, you want it, you, it was like, okay, how's this gonna go? Especially the keyboards, right? So I, I to me, that was like the, okay, he passes. Because they pulled that out, and I thought that he did a great job. Yeah, I, I do think the keyboard sound does stand out more on the ladder. Like, for oh, me, yeah. the ones that stand out are... Well, why don't you go first, since I will see if we have, like, the same answers. Okay, so he was more of a contributor on the ladder. I also want to say, just dialing back a moment, um, America. He was so good oh, on yeah. that. On, on the tour. He played America really super well. The piano work was outstanding. Um, but yeah, going back to the latter, I personally love that album. I think Bruce did an awesome job of producing it. The fact that he passed away while they were in the final mix stage, I believe it was, it had to have been hard, but uh, a great album yeah, covered by Roger Dean. And yeah, the, the music is outstanding and the tour was great too. I love his playing on that, everybody's. Yeah, I think the ones that come to mind for me first when it comes to keyboards, it's probably new language. Um, you know, just the way it begins with the do 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 like that type yeah. of thing. 
I also think of that organ sound part in Homeworld. Um, yeah. I think finally also has like some promise. Oh, I love that song. Well. Yeah. But then there's yeah. Lightning Strikes and there's... Um, what song is that? Um, starts out with the sequencer on the keyboards. Do 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 do. It's not new language. Yeah, I guess it is. Okay, it's yeah that confused me. Yeah, sorry, me too. Just that was a test. You all passed. Great job. There's a lot of good keyboard stuff on that album. And and again, I love the album as a whole. Yeah, it's one of those albums where I think fans of it would say it's their favorite since Going for the One, which we covered uh, recently. And right. uh, I think today's like the possibly the date it came out in the U.S. back in the day. So, you know, Going for the One, the gfto album not to be confused with gtfo which means something else but yeah um, <laughs> so the the latter does rank highly um among the later yes albums i would say like the post classic era albums i guess you could say yeah and they played awaken on that tour as well so he held up in that yeah d definitely um and and again like with the musicians like it's one of those things where depending on who it is and depending on like the person, like who you are or whatever, like sometimes it'll be easier to think more about the music than like the person and their actions. And, you know, your mileage will vary on that. But in terms right. of the music, like there's definitely musical talent there. Like I, I do acknowledge that. Yeah. And uh, like some people, I I've heard some people say that maybe uh you know, if, if things had gone well, maybe he could have continued longer. But then again, like we also heard that, oh, the vibes were like, even before all that stuff for that, the band wanted to get Rick back eventually. So like, who knows, like, yeah, what could have happened? I don't know. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, folks, chime in if you have a favorite work by Igor uh, with Yes or Otherwise. Um, we'd love to know. And uh, anything else on Igor, Steve, or you want to move on to Pete? Uh, yeah, there's like not much else I'm familiar with for Igor. I know he played on a couple tracks for an ELP tribute album in like 99. Oh, and, I didn't know that. And I, I guess if we are committed to doing the first solo album since joining Yes uh, yeah. for everyone, then I suppose we'd get to Piano Works at some point uh, later in the year. I guess we'll see about that. We might <laughs> we might want to take a poll and see if anyone will watch and listen to the episode. Right, yeah, that's Just something saying. we'll consider, yeah. Yeah, cool. Moving on, Peter Banks, not only founding member, not only the first guitar player, but the man who came up with the epic name for the band. It was going to be called Harvey Goldstein and the Bagel Slingers, <laughs> but they went with yes. Yes, a uh, very succinct name. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I think John wanted life and Chris wanted world. You know, they're kind of more generic, but yeah, uh, yeah, yes, just 
fits with it so well. And you, you know, it, he, you got, you get the feeling that he probably would have wanted more like improvisation type of stuff, which is why he probably, uh, preferred doing stuff like flash empire, harmony, harmony right. and diversity. Um, yeah. and one of these is actually a bit of news I'll bring up if you give me a sec. But first, like, what are your overall thoughts on, like, Peter before I go into that? Well, I agree with something Bill Bruford said when we interviewed him. And touching on Peter, Peter was a very rhythmic player. He was also very, very animated and extremely um, focused yeah. on stage you know, like he was really, really in it. And uh, I think that had a lot of inspiration and motivation on Bill's playing, it seemed to be, as he talked about Peter. Yeah, definitely. Because uh, in some of those old clips, you do see the energy from him and like the other members. And just like in those early days, it's like they're having a great time. Yeah, and he was an innovator, absolutely an innovator. That was very, very early days, the formidable days of progressive rock where not everything was 12-bar blues-based, let alone blues-based. He absolutely was stepping outside those lines. And there's there's glimpses of similarities, certainly between him and certain aspects of Steve Howe's playing, especially early Steve Howe, where there was a lot of staccato playing. Those are like, you know, really short, sharp notes and a lot of, you know, uh, brushing on, on the strings with having them muted, a lot of stuff like that, kind of like you hear at the beginning of um, Siberian Katru. So there's some similarities that kind of make sense when you look at those aspects and Steve coming in as the replacement and then what Steve did to embellish on the songs that they moved forward that Peter played on, I think are no less than even a greater tribute and acknowledgement to Peter's contributions. Yeah, and like earlier this year, we talked about his uh, first solo album, Two Sides of Peter Banks, and there was a bit on there that kind of reminded us of Roundabout, so that was kind of Yeah, very much so. Do you have a favorite work by Peter with Yes? It would probably be either survival or astral traveler mm. possibly like if i'm thinking of his playing like astral traveler has like great stuff from him wow i was thinking wondrous stories and sound chaser <laughs> wow. just just kidding <laughs> no i i love those absolutely i love um no opportunity necessary i love love the playing on yeah. that you know, I think that in some ways that laid the groundwork for yours is no disgrace in a way. I don't know why that's always been sort of a, no pun intended, a parallel sort of uh, composition to me. There's something about those two that there's the link between that one yes lineup and the other less yes lineup. And those two songs kind of seem to intertangle a little bit. Um, I, I love that. But uh, Astral Traveler as well is great. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Chime in, folks. This... Let us know, folks. Peter Banks, what's your favorite? Sorry. Go ahead, Steve. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I was just going to say, Yours is No Disgrace is a song where they love to throw in, like, their own bits and sometimes improvise with, like, solos and stuff. But, yeah, yeah. I guess I'll get to the news now. So Okay. Um, I first found out about this from an article on BraveWords.com, and there's also a YouTube trailer for this. 
so this is Flash in the USA, live recordings, 1972 to 73. And this is a uh, three CD box set. So according to this article, it says, available on September 9th, restored live recordings from 1970s classic prog rock group Flash, featuring ex-Yes guitarist Peter Banks, 22 tracks from seven shows across three discs. Wow. A, major a majority of them previously unavailable. So that's a neat thing there. Like when these things come out, I love when most of it is like newly released, like stuff that hadn't been heard. Before. Yeah. And it looks like there's some great packaging there too. We've got it up and it looks like there's a booklet. Um, the CD box actually folds out into a three panel. I don't know. I guess that's a gateway. Um, but the booklet, I'd love to see those pictures and the thing is, Steve, why like why couldn't this come out when he was alive? You know, given his his legacy is quite pivotal, would, would there be a yes without Peter Banks? If if that one of five components wasn't there back then, would the other four have gotten together? You know, that that whole thing. Um, we don't know. There's, you know, we're only guessing, hypothesizing parallel universe actions but it's it's a shame that that couldn't come out while he was alive but at the same time uh 50 years later for the acknowledgement is really cool because now i would want to get that because now we know what was he doing during the yes songs sort of period right and then moving yeah. towards tales from topographic oceans so i'd like to kind of hear that stuff side by side um and and to me that's always fun to do it gives it all a whole different context, but for it to come out 50 years later, wow. Yeah, and uh, the bassist Ray Bennett um, is quoted, like he talks about how whatever could be done with the audio was done, but some of it might sound a little like, like maybe not quite as top form and crisp, but it's still like a nice record of what, things were at the time and watching the trailer i did get that vintage sense so to speak and it's listenable i'd say and yeah i'd be down to listen to this yeah ab absolutely i really don't know anything about the other players or or the music of the band so i i want to dive down that rabbit hole for sure how about you folks are you familiar with it let us know yeah, and this is coming from Think Like a Key Music. Um, so I'll just go ahead and copy and paste that link into the comments and people can decide where they want to pre-order it from. Cool. Uh, yeah. Uh, so then with that, should we move on to Trevor Horn? Sure. Trevor Horn's birthday as well. Um, interesting thing about Trevor, if I may, is yeah. you know back in 1980 when things fell apart with yes in paris recording and uh john and rick you know just sort of were not feeling it and then alan broke his ankle roller skating with richard branson so that kind of just put a period at, at the end of everything for a while and then for them to come back with jeff downs and trevor horn from the buggles you know, new new Clash of the Titans, New Wave was just pretty much being born and popularized. It's the first year of a new decade, the 80s. There's some new technology coming out. And you get, got these two 
pop slash punk slash new wave slash glam rock slash real nerdy dorky lead vocalist replacing it's like what is going on here well if we had our crystal ball what was going on there was yes was very unknowingly bringing on a man who is credited for creating the music of the 80s basically not just stylistically but production wise i mean what he became is truly remarkable and if you skim the stone across his universe of existence the fact that that stone landed on yes for a brief moment i think it's really cool actually yeah and in preparation for talking about you know we watched the the video we found on youtube uh, trevor horn the art of production the art of record production and but i also listened to some of the stuff he's well known for producing which uh, i think out of all the yes related stuff we've gone through i think this maybe branch out even further than i'm used to branching out like it was like less familiar type of music to me that than i'm used to if that yeah definitely um so what do you want to talk about first do you want to talk about like the youtube videos or the? yeah let's talk about that i watched it three or four times i found it Oh, wow. So, yeah, I found it so interesting and I actually learned so much that I wish and maybe that news did come out way back then the way he literally invented what became the drum machine um, by assigning notes in a rhythm in a loop pattern on two inch tape. He was literally programming drums before you could program drums on a device Um you know, maybe that stuff info came out back then, but there was no internet and all of that. Maybe it was on one British magazine about recording that I didn't know about or something, but I learned so much. And um, when he cited, I hope I'm remembering the gentleman's name properly. Stephen, was it Lipkin? The other producer that he mentioned? I have it right here, actually. Mm. Um, I don't want to spent too much time looking but it was sorry i don't remember at the moment what watch it steve's gonna put the link in there watch this folks because what this yeah. other gentleman really identified that changed how things were done by trevor was he says that everyone was blowing it by assigning eq as they recorded but then it was forever encapsulated on digital and it just wasn't transferring the same way. So this guy was saying, record everything flat, record everything flat and put the EQ in the monitors, get it just right and then do it in the mix. And in a, in a lot of ways that changed recording. And I, I think what Trevor did, if you look at albums like Frankie Goes to Hollywood, um, ABC, the stuff he did with uh, Grace Jones, I mean, the list goes on and on and on. I, I don't know if there's been a more indelible music revol revolution by one person than what Trevor did for the 80s. Because what Trevor did for the 80s, technologically, and the way he produced, that got carried forward even to the way things are done now. And if you really, if you watch this video, and and another one where he breaks down the yes 90125 and reimagining that it it's pretty educational from a 
recording, engineering, producing, and mastering standpoint. And I love how he uh, says that engineering and producing are two completely different things. Producing music is what directing a TV show or movies is. The director of visual and the producer of audio are kind of the same role, actually. The director is the one who makes it look the way it ends up looking, and the music producer is the one who makes it end up sounding the way it sounds. And I love the fact that he vowed to, he didn't want to work with big, uh, famous, rich bands. He wanted to work with up and coming and help their vision, you know, come, come through and, and be um, realized the way they did it. And if you listen, like, I, I've been listening to music, researching for this or gearing up for it, that I wouldn't be caught dead listening to it when that music came out. Because at the time, I was in a snobby prog rock band called Opus One out of L.A. Wow, and that is a snobby name. <laughs> it, it is. It wasn't my idea. Uh, but now I, I'm much more mature in age, <laughs> mileage, and wisdom. And I, I love music like Tears for Fears. I've always liked Grace Jones, but listening to the Frankie Goes to Hollywood stuff like that. I've got four tabs up on Trevor, and one of them I simply YouTube searched, produced by Trevor Horn, and there's a list of, uh, there's this one playlist of 233 tracks from wow. 1979 <laughs> to 2020. Yeah, so I started falling down that uh, rabbit hole, and... Um, he talks about working with Grace Jones. He talks about uh, the whole Frankie Goes to Hollywood thing. Uh, Welcome to the Pleasure Donut is amazing. Relax. I remember when that came out. Hated it. Love it now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, if that is one of those songs where I can understand why someone would hate it and why someone would love well, it. Well, especially, you know, I was immersed in Frank Zappa, Gentle Giant, Genesis, Old Yes, Peter Gabriel. You know, and, and a lot of those people probably loved that stuff when it came out. But back in those days and where I was as a person and a musician, my horizons up here weren't open wide enough to learn from stuff way outside my lane. I since have learned that and I preach that all the time to musicians um, the same way you probably do to writers, you know, to not just follow what, what you write the genre you write, but reach yeah. out and pull from here and there. Um, but the list is amazing. Seal. I mean, it worked with Grace Jones, worked with Seal. <laughs> it, it, it's, yeah, I, I listened to some Seal in preparation for this. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Art of Noise, Propaganda, uh, Tattoo, just Leanne Rhymes. It goes on and on. Simple Minds. It goes on and on. It's all great stuff, even if you don't like it. Even if you don't like it, if you have an ear for production, there's no way you would not. I think most people would say, oh, I don't like the production. It's too bassy or it's too it's not too anything if if not too good. It's it's really neat what he learned in the beginning of the 80s. And just he's the guy that not many people can be identified with an entire decade, you know, in, of doing anything medical right. sculpting you know, recreation, travel, fooding, you know, whatever. What's your yeah. take on, on what he's done? And when's he ever going to amount to anything is the big question. <laughs> right. So if I may, I'm just going to say something about a few of these uh, things that I listened to. Okay. Um, so I, I think the first 
thing that he produced that wasn't Buggles related or, or that wasn't like under the Buggles name. Because um, I don't know if this was made before or after Adventures in Modern Recording, but this is uh, the Dollar album, which is the third and final album by the pop group Dollar. And the first track of this, Mirror Mirror, sounds very Buggles. And I look at the writing credits, it's like, oh, okay, it's written by Trevor Horn and Bruce Woolley. That makes sense. Yeah. Um, and like he's co-written a, a couple of these songs, but the as the album progresses, you know, it feels very much like those types of 80s pop albums where it's it's comfort music like you listen to it and it's like yeah everything's gonna be all right you know type of feel-good music um so you know on that that note i just want to say on that note you bring up a great point because i i say when the 80s music was coming out it just didn't resonate with me the (laughs) b52s is one of those bands i just i didn't i didn't get it i didn't want to hear it i didn't want any part of it the older me, I love the B-52s. When, that's my number one go-to first travel CD that gets put on in the carousel is the best of the B-52s. It's just fun. And you just said that, that that lighthearted and just, you know, the good-spirited. It's, it's fun stuff. And I guess I wasn't fucking fun back then or something. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, may, may you hated fun things back then, like how I hate Thor, Love, and Thunder right now, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> Burn! <laughs> you've yeah. been, how long have you been waiting to figure out a way to slip that in today? Uh, I, I wasn't you, planning to. the first 20 like, minutes of the movie? <laughs> I, I was not planning to, but okay. just that analogy, it was like I saw the opportunity and went for it. Um, but around this time, uh, Trevor also produced... Uh, the ABC album, The Lexicon yeah. of Love, or from 1982. Um, Wasn't that the first al- number one outside the Buggles, if I remember right? Yeah, I believe so. Let me just look at that real quick. But uh, the, it definitely has the right title for this album because it has like a bunch of romance songs. You know, it, Open Your Eyes had like four love songs in a row, but this like surpasses that. I guess. Uh, so Lexicon of Love makes sense. And um, yeah, it reached number one in the UK albums chart. And uh, oh, it was during these sessions that he got a Lindrum drum machine and assembled a team that would characterize and define the sound of much of this work in the 80s. So, By the yeah. way, I remember the Lindrum when it came out. It was a thing about if you're sitting in front of it, this wide, the short part in front was this tall, and the back was that tall. So it's not a slant. And it had all these square buttons that you'd assign sounds to, and you literally had to program a rhythm. And it was uh, named after the George Lynn, the gentleman who invented it. His last name was Lynn. And that was the the very first programmable drum machine. But again, if you watch that video that Steve mentioned, um, Trevor talks about invent, basically inventing the drum machine by programming sounds onto two inch tape and, and looping it. It's, mm-hmm. it's quite extraordinary to have that vision. And for the record yeah. company to give him basically carte blanche, his own label pretty much, Island Records, and then go work, yeah, go work with these young artists no one's ever heard of. And look what he did. Yeah, but I gotta say, the Lexicon of Love 
is an album I'm not sure I would have listened to from start to finish if it wasn't for this episode. Oh. Um, like, the production sounds top-notch, but in terms of, like, the content itself, like, I feel like some of the lyrics, like, on Tears Are Not Enough, it's it's kind of really straightforward, like, not as wordy. So you kind of have to rely on the delivery of the words and the music around it, which is a smart way to do it. But mm. um, I, I do like the use of trumpets on some of these songs. Yeah. Like, it, there, there's used on one of these, um, The Look of Love Part 4, and that's a song I wish was, like, much longer. It was only one minute but this is of the, the new wave synth pop and sophista pop genres apparently i didn't even know that last sophista one pop thing. yeah um but that reminds me in that art of record production video one thing that trevor said that really stood out to me was how he said it's okay if, if people write lyrics set to a beat that they make and I mean that's how I've written lyrics sort of like I'll listen to a song and sort of write my own lyrics to the beat of that song even though if I want to turn the lyrics into a song I wouldn't be able to use that beat because you know copyright reasons but Trevor uh, went on to say he much prefers like it's more it, to him it's more interesting to just write the lyrics first and have the music conform around that so that the lyrics aren't conforming to the music it doesn't shorten the phrase like it gives you more freedom to write more words i guess and i thought that was very fascinating the way you yeah. put that um indeed and yeah and um so it, one of the songs on the lexicon of love is also the title of the john anderson song and it is show me and wouldn't you go ahead yeah and wouldn't you believe it there's also a song titled show me on seal's first album that's right <laughs> that's right and they're not the same song right they're like totally different songs yeah. and uh weirdly seal's first two albums are both titled seal some people call the second one seal two to avoid that's confusion. odd for them to call it that <laughs> yeah, but I, I think I'd be more likely to revisit some of this Seal stuff than uh, that Lexicon of Love album. Some of it kind of reminds me of Peter Gabriel stuff, which oh, I like maybe there are like some similar like cultural influences, perhaps. And uh, the second Seal album in particular, you know, the first one is listed as soul, R&B, and electro, but the second one had parts that sounded proggy to me um you know there's a song called don't cry not not to be confused with the asia song um but i, I looked at the genre for the second one and wouldn't you believe that one of the subgenres for it is progressive soul huh um, yeah it's got like some neat uh orchestration stuff that reminded me of prog and maybe some guitar stuff as well and interesting this was also a funny experience because when i got to kiss from a rose I thought to myself, wait a minute, I've heard this song in an episode of Community when they're doing karaoke. Um, that's a- You were in the shirt. <laughs> Greendale Community College that you got me a while ago. Yeah. Um, so yeah, the, again, the production is top notch. You can hear like 
what's being done and like trevor has a good ear for this oh amazing sort of stuff yeah um and you know just going back to the 80s one of the bands he worked in and with i guess was the art of noise and that's, that's right it's something yeah that's something else altogether it's very avant-garde and really using noises as music it's kind of like taking the sound effects from owner of only heart and using that as like a huge song pieces. exactly to construct it yeah yeah so i I, de I want to dive into more of the art of noise because i've enjoyed what i've listened to from that yeah you'll have um, to check this link out with all these songs it's really interesting how much he's done yeah and there's also that video um which is i guess related to that other one we talked about where uh, like both of these are related to Trevor Horn reimagines the 1980s, which is an orchestral thing. He did a few years back, like mm -hmm. reimagining some 80s songs, some of which he didn't work on weirdly enough, apparently. But uh, the other video that I watched was basically him breaking down Onerville Only Heart and yeah. you hear like the different tracks on it in isolation and the whole part I, I think that's the one he said is like six tracks at, at once which is kind of funny to think about yeah i remember um at that time being at um in america the largest music chain store is called guitar center and i remember being at the old sherman oaks guitar center the small one and someone showing me the keyboard which was called the emulator and they explained that that's the keyboard that the part was recorded, that played on. And the is an acoustic guitar arpeggio, but it was processed and put on a floppy disk and played on the emulator from what they said. And the emulator had a large floppy disk slot in it. And it was like so futuristic back then. If I saw that now, I'd think it was Fred Flintstones or something. <laughs> you know, it's all it's all relative. So this is going back, well, when 90125 came out around that time, 84, 85? 80, yeah, it came out toward the end of 83. Um, yeah. But uh, before I forget, one of the Art of Noise songs that I listened to was titled Close, and in parentheses it says To the Edit. So, you know, a little reference to Close to the Edit yeah. is pretty funny. Um, so yeah, like he's, he's got an extensive production portfolio. It's really impressive. And like, like I said, this got me to listen to stuff I feel was further out of what I tend to reach. And yeah. It's, it all is reason. for me almost, um, yeah. you know, I was familiar with seal familiar with Grace slick knew a lot of the names of the other bands, but never really listened to them. Now I fell down this rabbit hole. Like I said, I got four tabs open that are all Trevor Horn related, but let's talk about his work with Yes in two ways. Let's talk about his work on drama and let's talk about <laughs> his work producing 90125. And fans, please go ahead and chime in if you're watching or listening on a platform where you can comment. Um, let's start with drama. Um, what, what was your context for that album coming out? Because mine was at the time it came out and it was, you know, a couple of years, year after the Tormato tour, the second leg. Um, so it was it was total weirdness, not having a clue what to expect. When in your yes listening timeline 
Did you hear drama? And what'd you think? So last time I mentioned how I got Relayer and going for the one for my ninth birthday in late 2003. So I guess sometime in 2004. Because I, I vowed you, to bring you up right, but go on. Yeah, I think sometime in 2004, you might have, uh, you, you certainly played the cassette that you had of drama. And so that got me um, sort of, uh, sort of introduced me to what the material was like. I'd watched the Yes Years documentary when I was younger, and there was that little bit with excerpts of the Into the Lens and Tempest uh, Fuge or Fugit, however you pronounce it, videos. So I, I'd heard those, but I guess when watching that documentary when I was little, I wasn't really cognizant of the context of like, oh, the, this is someone who replaced john for a little while like i probably wasn't even aware that john got replaced or whatever yeah uh, and just thought it was just some maybe i just thought it was just two guys like working with guys. Like, I, I don't know but, <laughs> uh, listen, listening to drama like that cassette tape that you played i remember thinking oh he does kind of sound like john on this but you can tell that it's not and sure. it, i remember enjoying the music and over time it's like grown even more on me and you know drama has gotten its own renaissance like since 2008 in the live setting yeah absolutely uh do you have a favorite track on Mach machine messiah like no question and it but i was gonna add as it relates to trevor singing is it still machine messiah um it might still be, but I'd like to add that I have a soft spot for Run Through the Light. Uh, you know, I asked my love to give me shelter. Like, I just love how yeah, that sounds for some reason. It does feature his voice in an upfront way, and he's playing bass on it, and Chris is playing piano. Right. Did you remember that? Did you know that? Yeah. Okay. Uh, for me, huh, featuring his voice, um, I was going to say, I was going to say Tempest Fugit because of the pacing of it. And that's so much to yeah. keep up with. But I agree that Run Through the Light really shows off what he's able to do with his voice. Yeah. In a broader and, way. In a broader way. Yeah. And w while we're on... Um drama i just remembered the little excerpts that i heard in that owner of only hard video where he played the reworked orchestral version of it it sounded very much like white car in a way like how they did that on the drama oh album. interesting so, yeah yeah <laughs> okay but, so yeah go ahead oh i was just gonna say do you want to move on to 9125 yeah that's what i was gonna say not? um okay. what's your favorite song that he sings on that I know he does backing vocals on Owner of Only Heart, at least. I yeah. don't know off the top of my head if he does that elsewhere as well. I don't think so. And I was kidding, you know, meaning lead vocals. Yeah, but, I, know, I know. Okay. But <laughs> so what, what? Well, I'll give my thoughts on his production work on that. Because um, there's I have two different ends of the spectrum. The work he did, then this is a given, this is almost a platitude to say this, but the work he did with Owner of a Lonely Heart really has every infusion of 
the 80s music up to that point at that time and took with it, the 80s took with it some things from that song. You know, it really was a trend-setting song as far as what 80s music and production was going to sound like. So you take that and then you move over to the other spin of that arc, other side of that arc with hearts. And that's a totally different you could put those side by yeah. side and almost say they're two different producers, which I think is a huge compliment. Hearts is a beautiful song and it's big, it's wide, it's open, it's fat, it's it's arena yeah. rock in a lot of ways. And it's the same guy that produced it. You know, that, yeah. I think that says a lot. Yeah, and I think Honorable Only Heart was almost not on the album. You know, he listened to Trevor Rabin's demo of it, which... Like one of his demos of it at least feels more straight ahead rock and roll type of thing and they kind of try to inject that in the live setting at times whereas on the album it feels more subdued like you know kind of restrained but you still have all these weird sound effects and stuff so i feel like trevor horn like he really pushed for that song to be on the album and he did what he did with it and it became a huge Hit, and like, he said when or, he first heard Trevor's draft, he knew it was a, a hit. He knew right away. And yeah. <laughs> I wonder how much he heard in his head that we hear now on the album. Like, did yeah. he have that forethought? Did that take a lot of massaging and development? I'd love to ask him that. Yeah, it's it'd be interesting getting into his head and like knowing like how much of it did he work out of how it should sound, that type of thing. It's yeah, it's interesting. Yeah, um, we should have him on. We'll reach out. Trevor, if you're watching, we'd love to have you on. We'll reach out. Yeah, I, I think he's still touring with the Dire Straits Legacy. Uh, I think they have like East Coast dates coming up in okay. August. So, um, but yeah, it'd be cool to talk to him about production and just making music and stuff. Yeah. Um, so do you have anything else to say about any of these members there are a couple other uh tangentially yes related people i want to give shouts to since their birthdays were oh recent, recent. go ahead and do that i i think I, i've spilled out pretty much everything i had to say about the three of them for now yeah okay so one of them dave kersner uh his birthday was on july 10th hey and dave he, and you know he's worked with um you know, he's part of Arc of Life, which a few Yes members are in. And Sound of Contact with Simon Collins, Phil Collins' older son. Yes, love Sound of Contact. Yeah. And uh, he uh, has had at least Billy Sherwood on his uh, new upcoming album, The Traveler, which uh, looks like the release date for that is now going to be in August. It might be August 15th if i'm not mistaken yeah, and but... the wonderful beautiful great singer durga mcbroom as well yeah from durga pink McBroom. floyd yeah amazing um he says of uh, okay i'm looking at it now he says the standard edition comes out july 29th you can pre-order it today um and you can like go to his band camp i'll put these links in the comments and in the podcast description but he, he also put out a video for uh, one of the songs, A Time in Your Mind. And you can see Billy Sherwood performing in that as well. Cool. Um, so, yeah, I'm looking forward to listening to that whole thing and seeing what it's like. Dave was um, recently on the Cruise to the Edge with Billy and Durga playing with him. 
Yeah, yeah. I remember I Billy saying it was great to go on a cruise to the edge uh, excursion and show where all he had to do was show up and play. Like he didn't have to, it wasn't a yes thing, you know? Yeah, he, he was the only yes member who made it. <laughs> yeah, and he said, he said Dave was a real like work master and he said he couldn't wait to get him on his album to get him back. <laughs> Taskmaster is what I meant, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, and uh, Billy also mentioned that the second uh, Arc of Life album, you know, when we interviewed Billy, that it might be more proggy, if I remember correctly. Which so would be great, because you kind of almost expect it, you know? Yeah, but yeah, so happy birthday to Dave Kersner. And the other one, which uh, you and I have talked about, because uh, we reshared the Magnification episode from last year. Bob Seska! Yeah, his birthday was on the 12th, and he did the artwork for the Magnification album, which, even though it's not Roger Dean, you know, we've talked about before, it still somehow fits the music, and even yeah. feels like it connects to John Anderson's stuff with, like, how he handled, like, the digital, like, triangle and... Planets and stuff, too. Yeah, that's my favorite non-Roger Dean Yes album. Yeah, that, it's that's a great album praise. cover. I mean, the cover, yeah, it's a great album cover. It's a great album too. Yeah. Um, in a way, like it kind of feels like a modernization of Fragile now that I think about it. Cause you know, space and stuff. Yeah. We've seen a couple other related things like that. Yeah. yeah. Um, all right. So I guess that's all I had to say. Did you have anything else? I think we might be lacking a bit. So we might have to like play. We'll play out song. some music. Yeah. Yeah, because I think last time uh, when we clicked uh, end live, it might have ended like at the point where it was still kind okay. of behind. I think that might be what happened. So we'll go ahead and uh, give this to Trevor. Here we go. Thanks, everybody.